Hey MW, it's Melissa and Stephanie Kirkache, the founders of Millennia Women and the host of Millennia Women Talk. Thank you for tuning in to our Miami Mentor episode. In this segment, we sit down with some of the most successful and knowledgeable women who are paving the way for us. We get the chance to ask them for their guidance and advice on some of the most challenging topics we face today as women and so much more. This episode was recorded in the beautiful offices of Venture Cafe in the multicultural city of Miami, Florida. We had the incredible honor to interview Leanne Buchanan, the founder executive director of Venture Cafe Miami and the founder of the NIA Project. In this episode, we talk about how to increase diverse and inclusive communities in our own cities, how to ignite innovation amongst each other, and how to practice principles every single day to be able to manage it all and more. Check out some of our favorite moments from today's episode. And so you're always evolving and learning as a leader. And I think that the experiences that really pushed me to grow as a leader are those that were rooted in travel. A lot of people will think that their work, the thing that they do, either for their day job or their side hustle, is their purpose, but it's not. You have to take a, a like, peel back the layer and kind of understand what is the motivating force behind that. And often the things that we're passionate about is like maybe also not going to be our purpose. So sit back and enjoy this conversation and get ready for some major inspo about to come your way. We know you're going to love it. And now here's our full conversation with Leanne Buchanan, our Miami mentor. Welcome, Leanne Buchanan. Um, This is so exciting because this is our Miami mentor episode. We get the chance to speak to incredible women like you. So we thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you, Leanne. So Leanne, can you tell the womanhood a little bit about you and what you do? I am a recovering attorney. Um, <laughs> I love how you just said recovering attorney. <laughs> yeah, it's like an addiction. <laughs> um, and I'm the founding executive director of Venture Cafe Miami. Um, Venture Cafe is really focused on building an inclusive and diverse entrepreneurial and innovation ecosystem here in Miami. And what that means is we partner with other organizations, stakeholders, or partners to design programming, activations, and kind of partnerships and and policies around how we can increase um, access to capital, access to opportunity, and really accelerate the growth of entrepreneurship here. Um, Why do we do that? We really have um, understood, and Venture Cafe is part of a global network, that in second and third tier markets that are on the rise, much like Miami, there's fragmentation and silos, even geographically, like Coming from Palmetto Bay or all the way out west to downtown is often something that not a lot of people do, and connecting across those differences is really important for really accessing capital opportunity to grow and scale ventures and make them thrive. Let's start from, so I love how you said recovering attorney. You're still practicing law now? So I don't practice, but I still keep my law license. Um, The work that I do in the legal space right now is really volunteer, and I... um, just coming off a three-year uh, appointment to the American Bar Association's Coalition on Racial and Ethnic Justice. Wow. So lawyer to now venture cafe. How did this idea start? And then we'll get to the good stuff of the challenges, but <laughs> let's let's stay with a positive note. How did this incredible idea just pop into your head? So unfortunately, it didn't pop into my head. It um, Venture Cafe is part of a global network. So the first Venture Cafe was started in Boston in 2009. And they've expanded to Rotterdam, St. Louis, um, and then Miami was their third expansion in 
concert with Cambridge Innovation Center, which is where we are right now. Um, at the time, I really loved my job and I loved what I was doing and I really loved my clients, but I wanted to do something a little bit more impactful for the community. And I had like seven and a half years of business litigation experience that definitely wanting to stay in the same space, really seeing how I could use my legal skills and my experience in helping kind of the startup and entrepreneurial space, but also around community building, community design. So I had lunch with a friend and I was like, I'm going to move to the West Coast because that's like where I'm originally from. And he was like, you cannot leave. There's this cool thing called Venture Cafe. I think you'd be great for the job. You should put your name in the hat. And I was like, sure. Okay. I will try it as a way to practice for an opportunity that I actually had on the West Coast. Um, and going up to Boston and seeing, and you've been to a Thursday gathering, seeing what mm-hmm. a Thursday gathering is like, there's like a magical energy of excitement and like authenticity, um, that is designed into the experience of really building community. And I was really impressed and said, Hey, maybe we could start that in Miami and kind of took the jump into being a quasi entrepreneur and launching venture cafe in Miami. I mean, that's a scary thing to do, right? So it's almost like you've got this great job and you're, you know, you're doing fabulous. And then you're like, I'm just going to start a business or or help start a business. And that's like very, very scary to do. Now let's get down to the good stuff. Okay. (laughs) That was exciting. And you're like, this is going to be great. And then you arrive and you start. And then what happens? So (laughs) we are currently um, a team of two. And we started as a team of one, and that was me. Um, And luckily, Venture Cafe Global provides uh, some support in terms of getting things uh, launched, but it's a startup in and of itself. So expanding new markets has its fair share of challenges. And we are separate um, entities, so we're part of a network, but everything you do locally is kind of homegrown. It's up to you to launch. So I remember like the biggest challenge was getting our first website online because I had never really done a website before, particularly in WordPress. I was like, what is this? (laughs) They're like, here's the domain name. Let us know it's ready and we'll connect it. And I was like, oh my gosh, what did I sign myself (laughs) up for? Um, But the really cool thing about Venture Cafe is it's really about connecting innovators and building community. So when I launched the Venture Cafe, I spent a couple months just listening reaching out to as many people in the startup and innovation and tech community here to hear um, where there might be challenges and try to identify opportunities in concert with some of the other stakeholders. So that was exciting, but also challenging at the same time, because you're also trying to see how you can weave together a programming that's designed to really fill gaps that exist. And what we do is we're ecosystem builders. So we're sitting at like a 40,000 foot view and saying, where are there pieces that we could plug in, create programming, create partnerships that really address real challenges that entrepreneurs and people in Miami are having? Um, and a lot of times other organizations are really focused on their main mission and their little piece of the pie. Right. Um, but we're excited. It was exciting to kind of launch something because it wasn't anything that I had done for my day job before. Um, and at the same time, um, challenging because – you know, we're at a space where we've, we're running, where our seed funding is about to end and I've been fundraising. And the first time ever, you somebody's mortgage, my mortgage, someone's <laughs> salary is really your responsibility. So it's, it's a high degree of pressure, but also exciting when we meet those challenges. You were passionate about law, but I can see you and I'm sure in the video, people can see how passionate, like you're just glowing when you're speaking of Venture Cafe. Do you think this project that you could never could imagine yourself doing did you find purpose in that how was that journey did it fulfill you so i think it's helped me discover 
areas where I feel a sense of purpose that I never would have identified before. So what I really love about my work with Venture Cafe is is really like community community design. So if you've come on a Thursday, I think we've seen over 25,000 people come through to our Thursday gatherings. Crazy. In two years. Yeah, we just I mean, they're fun. Like, honestly, it feels like just like this big networking party and everybody's connecting and it's amazing. Yeah. And so for us, that's really, you know, a lot of design with intentionality about making sure that there's diversity there. Oftentimes in Miami, you might see diversity, but when you peel back the layer, it's not really representative of the community. And when we look at the metrics of people that come to Venture Cafe, it truly is representative of the community here in Miami. And also thinking outside the box with the programming, you know, we host about 10 to 12 sessions every week. We are now reaching up to our 1,000th breakout session in, in the last two years. And people keep coming back. And that's kind of different for Miami. Like most restaurants are done yeah. in like two years. Most businesses are done in like one year, maybe three to five. And so to build something that is showing great momentum and, and growth and scale and sustainability um, is is exciting. Um, and really it's helping people maximize their potential and reaching their goals through creating yeah. that infrastructure of resources is what excites me. What stands out the most, I feel, is the diversity. And especially in Miami, one of the most multicultural cities in America. Can you give us some of your tips and how you made this place really welcoming to people from all different types of backgrounds? It starts with um, mapping out your values um, and core principles. So for us, inclusion, diversity, access, opportunity, and connectivity are kind of the five words that should resonate and do resonate, I hope, in everything that we do. And so when you map out your, we actually did like an ethos map, which is all the words that we want people to think about when they have like a venture cafe interaction or experience. And that kind of serves as a foundation for designing kind of programs, program types, and also the partners. Everything that we do is collaboration first, which if we're really thinking about the word connectivity, it means you need to collaborate. So we've partnered with over 600 different organizations and individuals in the last two years to really produce the content or curate the content that is made available to everybody. I think the second word, inclusion, is really important because I always tell people, like, I'm bullish on inclusion, which means there should be a signal at every stage of interacting with Venture Cafe that we are putting inclusion first from people that want to host sessions when you when you um, book your session you have to put the gender and the ethnicity of your lead presenter which is like we care about this yeah. and so if we see that there are multiple times and you have the same you know for example not to pick on white males but if you have like a white male every single time you'll probably get a phone call or an email that says hey guys we really need you to diversify this because it's important to us and I think the third thing is thinking differently about inclusion. So I always say diversity is great because it's a metrics piece. So you can kind of check the box and say, I've got X percentage of this person, X percentage of this person. But inclusion is a little bit different. It's making sure that you're creating a space and an environment where everybody can feel like they belong, that they're valued, that they're heard, and they have an opportunity to thrive. And so inclusion means to us more than just thinking about racial and ethnic diversity. But like some of the things that we've really been focusing on is how do we increase venture capital? as an access point or an on-ramp for entrepreneurship for people from low to moderate income communities, for people that suffer from visible and invisible disabilities, and people that maybe, for example, are returning citizens. We are hosting, I believe, the first um, 
ex-felon entrepreneurship meetup that happens once a month on a Thursday. And that's really important because a lot of times people that are returning citizens are stigmatized and they're alienated. And it's often very difficult for them to get jobs because of things like, you know, having the the box on an application form that says, have you ever been con- convicted of a crime? So create a space where they can connect with different people in the in- entrepreneurial community, launch their ventures, because often it's entrepreneurship by necessity is really important for being inclusive. I love Venture Cafe. I love what it stands for. I love the message behind it. I love the mission behind Mm -hmm. it. But I do want to talk about the Neo Project because we saw it on your Instagram. (laughs) Then we went on the website. And we're like, first of all, we should be traveling with her because it's amazing. (laughs) What does it mean? Okay. So the Neo Project is – so Neo in Swahili is the word for purpose. Um, And it's really funny the way that – we got to that name because it wasn't until even this summer did we really bake in the concept of purpose into our core programming. So it's really kind of ironic how it happened. But what we do is we believe that travel awakens leaders. So we provide transformative experiences abroad that provide leadership development for youth of color from under, underserved communities that are highly excelling. Every summer, I take like 10 to 12 high school students to another country for 10 to 12 days. <laughs> That's incredible. I would love to know, was there ever a trip that you've ever taken that really serviced you and your personal development and growth? And maybe speak on that a, a bit. So I travel a lot. Actually, when we were in Ghana, the fellow sat me down to figure out how many countries I've been to. And I think it's like close to to like 28 or 29. Wow. Um, and my undergraduate studies are in international affairs. Okay. So I studied abroad in Switzerland and I studied abroad in France. Um, and so I think for me, you know, I think leadership is really a, um, a verb. It's like an action. And so you're always evolving and learning as a leader. And I think that the experiences that really pushed me to grow as a leader are those that were rooted in travel. So if it was studying abroad for the first time in Geneva, Switzerland, when I was 17 years old, I was in college and I had some great times and really had to kind of get used to it. Even coming to the United States, I'm originally from Canada. I went to college when I was 16 years old. So left home very early to go live in another country that kind of forced me to grow up and, and kind of understand what it means to stand on your own two feet. Um, to, I don't know. When I was younger, my family's Jamaican, and there was one summer that my mom was like, okay, we're just going to go spend like eight weeks getting in touch with your roots and traveling around in on the island. Wow. So I think that trip, for one, was really transformative for me because I really got a deeper sense of like cultural identity and also understanding for the first time the complexities of kind of socioeconomic conditions. So she took us to Trenchtown, which wow. if you listen to Bob Marley's songs, you know, has a lot of kind of political consciousness, but also a lot of disparities um, economically. Um, and then also like to the beautiful areas of Jamaica, like Fern Gully, which is a really lush area in the country. Um, and so I think that those kind of gems of experience really help shape my perspective on people, on how much I love nature, and also like the value of really getting immersed into a different culture and what it teaches you about yourself and about your community. And so taking those principles into the NIA project is is what I've done. I think that's so incredible. I actually really believe in that so much, even on a personal level, like the amount of growth that I experienced just in my travel is something indescribable, really. How important is it 
to promote to people the the importance of traveling and more so the importance of really understanding and seeking you know other cultures outside of your own because I feel that sometimes people are so comfortable mm-hmm. and then they forget there's a whole world out there so how important is it to really promote traveling so I, I'm probably going to butcher this quote, but it's probably something I've seen on Instagram. But I think your your world really be- begins when you step outside your comfort zone. And our four pillars um, that kind of undergird the work that we do with NIA Project are, I think the acronym is LIP. So leadership, inclusion, impact, and purpose. And I think that those four words really describe the real benefit from a kind of fundamental human spiritual level to travel. I think you learn about yourself as a leader when you're forced to navigate circumstances that are outside your comfort zone and outside of your sense of normalcy. Um, I think you learn about impact over service because a lot of times you go to other countries and you like places that we go to have a lot of abject poverty and you want to like give money, but then the reality is like that little bit of money that you give is not really going to have the type of impact you want. And so we always focus on, on encouraging our fellows to think about how you can be an influencer of change, influencer of kind of changing movements and changing mindsets, because in the long run, that's going to be better than doing like a one-off service project once in a while. Right. I think the other thing is inclusion. I, we see so much polarization, particularly now in kind of the social dynamics in the United States and around the world. And travel really gives you a sense of proximity to people that are from different backgrounds. So Brian Stevenson, who's the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, who just is kind of the brainchild behind that huge memorial in Alabama, gave a speech last week at the American Bar Association conference. And in his speech, he talked about the proximity to people who are broken and people that are disenfranchised and people that are robbed of their sense of dignity by... um, a lack of, of fairness in the criminal justice system. And I think that sense of proximity can be translated to any different space. When you have a personal experience or connection with someone that is different from you, that looks different from you, has a different culture, speaks a different language, but then you have this connection where they're like, eh, we're not that different, we're very much the same, mm-hmm. then the way in which you view others and otherness is the first step to segregation is going to be very different because you're going to say, oh, there's not really a sense of otherness. We're actually very similar. It creates understanding. Mm-hmm. Then it starts creating empathy. And then it's this togetherness that we're all searching for, this equality. Once we can see ourselves in another. Mm-hmm. And there's so many variables that promote that. We just have to be open to it. That NIA project is, Wow. No, congratulations, really. I think it's it's incredible. Well, thank you. We've had, um, I launched the project in 2014, and it's a team effort. We have a great advisory committee um, that really helps out. But we've had 45 fellows in the last couple of years, and 100% of them have gotten into college, the ones that have gotten to that point, and 90% have won scholarships. So for them, it's really that inflection point that only shifts their mindset, but shifts the trajectory of their lives in terms of winning these college scholarships, which are game changers for for kids from low income. Because I saw that actually on your website, it's 100% of them do go to college. Mm -hmm. So what are the first steps that you do within your program to help guide them in the right direction? So our program is actually like getting to be highly competitive, which is good because it helps to narrow kind of the crop down to really those that are going to be a good fit to be fellows. And I always say our kids are at risk of not maximizing their potential Mm. because they represent a population that is often overlooked because their grades are good, 
their leaders at their school. They're, yeah. they're more than capable, but they might come from familial backgrounds or they might be the first person to think about going to college. So that process of navigating the college uh, kind of application yeah. process can be <laughs> difficult. So after the fellowship program, we actually started this about two years ago. Actually, I've done it every year, but we have formalized it two years ago with our graduating senior fellows. We'll meet over the course of the fall to go through um, college scholarship identification, interview session one and two, personal statement writing, two sessions on that. And then we'll bring someone in to go over kind of FAFSA and financial aid. Um, I've never paid for school. So I went to undergraduate on a full scholarship and I went to law school on a full scholarship. Congratulations. (laughs) I was totally a nerd. I'm still a nerd. But I think the reality is that we – I just translate what I did and try to, you know, pass it on to students. And a lot of the people on our advisory committee had similar situations. So we try to pour into them the same kind of insights that we used. You've really transformed into many different, I think, roles. But at the same time, they all tie into something you're so passionate Mm -hmm. and you feel very purpose-filled. Is there anything that you can, any advice you can give to millennial women, to our womanhood in how do you really live a purpose-filled life? So that's a tough question. There's like books on it. But it brings me back to the the last session that we do with our fellows um, during the seminar course abroad is around purpose um, and kind of finding your purpose. And one of the things that we talk about is that purpose is something that is probably always there, but you just have to uncover it a little bit. And it will evolve and change and have many different faces. But at the core, it's like what really motivates you. Um, I think I'm like, what, I'm 32 years old now. So it's taken me a while. But I think at the core of what I realized is just helping people kind of achieve their goals and then doing things that are kind of outside of the box to, to accomplish that. And so my advice is pay attention to what excites you. Pay attention to the times where you feel the most fulfilled and then begin to document why. Um, I'm a big proponent, and this is just how my brain works. I create models. So I will often create a model of like how do we get to – how do we like define our core values? So think about how you create a model of like what are your core values. If you have to put, you know – the seven areas of your life together, what are the words that describe those things? I think a lot of time, um, spending some time in introspection and reflection on how you feel and why you feel that way often gets you to uncover your purpose. And the other thing is like your work is different from your purpose. Um, And your passion is often different from your purpose and your work. Interesting. So a lot of people will think that their work, the thing that they do, either for their day job or their side hustle, is their purpose, but it's not. You have to take a, a like peel back the layer and kind of understand what is the motivating force behind that. And often the things that we're passionate about is like maybe also not going to be our purpose. Like I'm passionate about a lot of things. There's like a whole other set of projects that I've worked on that we haven't even gotten into <laughs> that deal with criminal justice policy issues. And I don't, I don't think that those things are my purpose, but they're passionate and they're projects that I've worked on that have had big impact. So understanding that there is a difference and, and avoiding the tendency to conflate the three, I think will help get you to that core motivating force. Um, my pastor or the pastor of the church that I go to often says like the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. Mm. And so often we try to look 
to our passion or people or our work to try to understand the why. And sometimes you have to look at different places. Could you say what your three things are? So what your passion is, what your purpose is, and what your work is? Because I think Ooh. at least tough it's, it's tough. It's tough. Because even me, I was trying to think, well, what is my purpose and what's my passion and what's my work? <laughs> so it's crazy. So I am like a planner and I do – with my, my core team at work and like my life, I do things in 12-week years, so I plan by quarters. And so I break down my life into seven areas, which are self, personal, let's see if I remember them, professional, <laughs> personal, self, work, passion, service, and relationships. Ooh, like seven. That's wow. very good. And I typically set like a core objective for the quarter on like each one of those things. So I think my work is my job, Venture Cafe passionate about it but it's definitely my work Nia project is definitely like my passion project like i really love you know working with our fellows developing good relationships and really helping them maximize their potential and so i think beyond that like the purpose that i'm still trying to figure out like i don't know how to articulate my friends said i'm living my purpose and i was like i don't believe you because i can't find the words <laughs> to describe it but i think right now like my 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 purpose is really around how i can kind of create um, either kind of programs or models or systems that are designed to kind of accelerate the growth and impact of either people, projects, or things that I'm working on in my personal life. So right. it's, it's run models and like I did. Have you guys done Strength Finder? Oh what my is gosh, that? You should totally. I love assessments. So, oh. <laughs> so, and my sister actually got me to do this. So, Strength Finder is an assessment that you can do that I will identify like five core themes of your strengths. And oftentimes, when you can play to your strengths or understand what your strengths are, you can really maximize your potential and do better. Um, and so. We do that with all of our fellows. And so, of course, I got to do it. <laughs> and one of my strengths is I'm a learner, which means I'm less motivated by the outcome and more motivated by the process. Mm. So when you see that, like, I'm doing a million different projects, it's like, well, where does this all fit together? I think it's because one of my strengths is, like, learning and gaining insight from the process to be able to add that into any type of project that I'm working on. So project-based work is things that I enjoy. Oh, I feel like I fall into that category. See, you might be. Because you know what's interesting? I really love the journey of things. Mm -hmm. And that's why in a way, it's like once you achieve something, I don't know if this happens to you, but then you kind of get like bored in a way. You're like, yes. I need to challenge myself again. <laughs> like, what can I do? I relate to that so much because I, I feel like, especially when we started Millennial Women, it was like, you know, coming from the acting world, you start and finish a project and then pretty much you're done or if, or if you're on a show, you wait to get picked up again, right? Mm -hmm. But there's always like an end to everything. Yes. And this, there's no end. So it yeah. was weird for me because I'm like, wait, oh, the first meetup is not the last meetup? Oh, so we continue <laughs> to do this like forever? Yeah. And it gets exciting, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like what that's what I love about you is that you realize in areas where you're like, okay, great, I did this and I excelled and now where can I, I have to keep growing? You're 32, right? So like we hope that we're all going to live to we're 90 or 100. Yes. So how can we continue to grow and challenge ourselves? Mm -hmm. But also too, how do we not spread ourselves too thin? Because you do a lot of things, right? And one of your um, categories is personal. And that can mean a lot of different things. It could be your personal relationships. It could be your own mm -hmm. personal time with yourself. How do you manage everything that you're doing and not go crazy? I don't know. That's the, well, that's the question I always ask myself. So I think this year I started narrowing down kind of the focus into the three buckets where I have projects. So like work is a big bucket because we have a lot going on. 
Um, secondly, Nia Project is a big bucket too. And then there's this other project that I'm in the tail end of wrapping up um, around um, hackathons that I've been doing around the country, connecting law enforcement with communities through technology. Um, and that's kind of winding down. And then it's probably just going to be focused on Neo Project and Venture Cafe. But so I grew up, I go to church on Sunday, but I grew up Seventh-day Adventist, which means I grew up, I went to church on Saturday most of my life. So the beginning of this year, I started doing, I don't keep it every week, but like a digital Sabbath from like my day job. So by sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, I don't check email. I don't do work related to like, ideally I don't do work related to my day job and I don't check Slack. I don't check Asana. You don't check Slack? I don't check Slack. Oh God, Slack is like, <laughs> Slack is like, I got to check the Slack. No, I don't check the Slack. Um, and so I work late on Fridays. So I work okay. till like sundown, if not a little bit later. Ooh. But if it's not done by like Friday night, then I'm not, you know, going to pick it up again till Saturday night. So you're really disciplined with yourself for sure. I try to be. There are like a few exceptions. Um, that come into play where I might have to check an email or it's like some type of emergency. But for the most part, like I don't do it. And I'd love ultimately to get to the point where like I'm not doing any work on Saturday, like side project work. Like I can literally spend time. Like I like to write a lot. Um, and I'm like, there's a book project that I really like to spend some time in. So if I could clear that 24 hour period or really hone in once a week on that type of, of work, it would be ideal. And do you ever feel like you're like this happens to me all the time, right? Where it's like where you take that moment for yourself and that time off and you're like, I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden you're just like, well, wait, what if I don't put enough time? Is things not getting done or are things not growing? And how do you, the guilt, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Or do you feel that at all? I used to feel that way. And then I don't anymore. So like my mom is a life coach and therapist. So she has like all of these sayings that. I think it probably conditioned me into not feeling that way. But for the most part, like one of the things that we try to instill in our fellows um, is really about like this concept of you have to give from the overflow. So if you are not full and if you are empty, then it's very hard to give and pour into others. Um, I think Ilana Van Zant talks about that a lot. So I think I'm a very logical person. Like if you look at my strength finder, like four out of five strengths are in, um, I think analytical and <laughs> critical thinking. <laughs> so like, it seems very logical. Like, Hey, if you are empty and yeah. overworked and burnt out, then it's very, and the work that, that I do is really around like supporting people and being creative. Like Venture Cafe is able to survive because we are very creative in how we curate programming. It's very hard to be creative if, you are dead tired. So creating that space. (laughs) Yeah. If you're a creative person, like it's very difficult. Like I used to study piano and when I was too tired, like I would make so many different mistakes because like I couldn't focus. So for the most part, like you understand that it makes sense to make sure that you are full and that you are rested. Then you're able to do like, you're doing a better job in the work for others. I love that you're saying that. I feel like, especially on social media, I mean, that's really how we're like, all in the know, but you really see this prominent hashtag, team no sleep, um, team hashtag no days off, and all of these very popular things that sometimes leads people to not 
think practical. Mm-hmm. I mean, like it doesn't make sense, you know, because you can't work to your maximum capacity if you're really just driving yourself to a wall consistently. But yeah, I mean, like you're saying, Mel, it just, it does give this guilt. Like, well, then I'm not working hard enough, but we're here to hear from Leanne Buchanan that <laughs> it's a necessity and it's practical and very logical. So thank you for sharing that for sure. More people need to know that. And I also wanted to ask you a little bit about your emotional mental state when you do a lot of things, right? So when you work with these um, children, these high schoolers that come from all walks of life, Mm -hmm. how do you emotionally and mentally be able to not only give them what they need, but also you not take that home? So with our fellows, I have like a deep like a good connection with them and they always also tell me like you need to be more vulnerable but by the end of the trip I'm very vulnerable and I, know very well. um, I think that the most part is like um, kind of the process of I probably compartmentalize a lot and I intellectualize a lot mm. um, so while I may feel very deeply I also kind of understand that it's not as productive to feel guilty or to internalize. So there's a book that will change your life Ooh, um, that I us. highly recommend. Um, and I always forget. It's called The Four Agreements okay. by, I think it's Don Miguel Ruiz. And um, The Four Agreements are don't make assumptions, always do your best, be impeccable with your word. I always forget the last one. <laughs> Oh, don't take things personally. Oh, that's the most important one. That is so important. (laughs) (laughs) That is the most important one. So it's a good book. It's a quick read. I read it often. Um, But like the idea about not taking things personally is this idea that you, like when other people often react negatively towards you, that often has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with them. And the circumstances of people's lives are not something that you are responsible for, but you can do what you can do to like help help them right. where it makes sense or build relationships or see how you can be helpful. But at the end of the day, like it's not something you have control over. If you're a person of faith, there's definitely kind of a sense that there is kind of a greater power at work and understanding that, you know, one of my fellows says, trust the process. Yep. And that's really insightful. Like there is a process and you have a role in it, understanding your role, but also understanding where you don't have a role is, is helpful for maintaining a sense of like mental equilibrium. Um, but the four agreements is really helpful because you understand, and I'm not perfect at it by any means, but I try to practice it when you don't think, take things personally, there's less drama. There's less miscommunication. When you're always focusing on doing your best, it's doing the best for yourself and doing the best for the way you show up in the world. Um, When you are impeccable with your word, that doesn't necessarily mean like not breaking promises and and making promises. It's really about like how do you not speak ill against yourself? And so part of like feeling guilty for things that are beyond your control is like not being impeccable with your word against yourself. It's nothing you can control or do. And then making assumptions is important. Um, Like making an assumption that you could do something about it or that you should be doing something about it is also important. So it's a a book that I always commend. I would like to know, we've been hearing so many um, questions and topics surrounding fear, Mm -hmm. um, overcoming this fear. Is there anything that you want would like to share with us on some of your fears and how you've been overcoming them? It's interesting. I wrote a blog post about fear a couple weeks ago, and fear is a great acronym for what is it? False evidence appearing real. Right. Ooh, that's good. It's fear. Ooh, yeah. that is a good one. <laughs> that is good. Can we? We need to write this down. I need I'll to, send. I'll send you the post. Oh, please do. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's exactly what it is. Um, I think that there's, I think fear is probably something that people spend too much energy and investment in. Um, and I think fears help to cloud your vision on how you can really execute the best way or how you can really kind of move through life in a way that is productive and helpful and impactful to the world. I think when I have, so the crazy thing about me, it's not that I'm fearless. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember like the no fear um, uh, branding campaign. Um, I think it was like a clothing line at, at some point, maybe it was just in Canada. Mm. But, um, but like I was also one of those kids that like wasn't really fearful of anything like I was really good at manifesting and making affirmations even though I didn't realize it like I would tell my mom hey mom I'm gonna win this thing off the radio and I would like the idea of fear is I think something that we just psych ourselves out um to justify when we feel inadequate or when we feel like we are not capable of doing something and so we use it as an excuse or a justification for not kind of going after things how do you deal with those with those thoughts because we know it it doesn't just skip over people it really does happen to everyone what are some of your thoughts that go into your mind and what do you do to push it away so i'm a big planner now you can't plan away from everything yeah. but it it sure helps you feel like you have like your shit together it's okay <laughs> Um, and so the other thing is like sitting with those thoughts, like sometimes people just like push it in the back of your mind, but I don't know if you meditate, but in meditation, if you have like a passing thought that's interrupting your meditative flow, you can sit with it and then acknowledge it and let it go. So fear, I think is the same thing. You can sit with fear, acknowledge what the source of the fear is and then deal with it in that way. Um, and then for the most part, like planning helps because Sometimes fear for me is just kind of being overwhelmed by the scale of things that I want to try to do. And often the scale that I'm thinking at, probably like a lot larger than the scale than perhaps the next person might be thinking of doing things at. So for the most part, I just say, what is my incremental gain? So my other strength, one of the strengths is like I'm achiever. So I like checklists, like checklists are my favorite <laughs> thing in the world. Like if I have accomplished 10 things today, then like I didn't, I didn't do anything. So like that's helpful for me understanding that the checklist mentality is, okay, I'm fearful of this thing. What is the underlying reason? Let me do incremental gains that will help boost your confidence. And that often helps to overcome kind of feelings of inadequacy or feelings of like I can't accomplish something. Um, and then also like faith is really important. Like, so I'm Christian and one of the, my favorite verses is like, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And so those things are really helpful to kind of keep me going when I kind of have the fear creeping in. I think everyone wants to know, because I really do. What are some of the tools that you use to do all these checklists and all these planning? Is there, is there any app or anything that you can share with us? There's digital pieces and models. So I'll start with the digital. Um, so with my team, so team management, like we got rid of email for team communications. We use Slack. Yeah. Slack is extraordinarily helpful. We also use Asana, which I admit like this summer, my Asana like discipline has been horrible. But when I am disciplined on Asana, it really helps because it's like a task management platform that you can assign people things and you can do projects with people. So like folks that I work with, we will use Asana, we'll create a project for something and list all the tasks. And I can know when I'm not there that something is being done and it integrates with Slack really well. 
Um, the other thing that we're just really kicking off using more so from a team perspective is like a CRM that integrates into our, our Gmail because I'm in contact with a lot of people. And the one area I'd say where I have a shortfall is like follow-up. My follow-up game really needs to improve. And also like managing all of those contacts. So having like a CRM that is up to date can help you manage projects, manage opportunities. On the personal side, I um, so I do the 12 week year. So every quarter I set, so with my team, we set two goals. And then we break down by each month in that quarter, what are the focuses? And then what are the four steps each week that we're going to achieve that focus, which relates to the overall goal. So really breaking down into digestible components is really helpful. Um, I try, I started this this year and it's working really well. So I'm going to keep doing it. I do a quarterly retreat for myself. So I'll take like a day or two, like outside of the state. Okay. Um, where I do like my planning for that quarter and set my goals and then take my planner and write down like the specific things that I'm going to do each week to accomplish that overall goal. So it really breaks it down. Like I set a fundraising goal and like that was a very big fundraising goal. But by breaking it down, like this is what I'm doing for this month. This is what I'm doing for that month. And then breaking down each week what my thing was going to be. That helps out a lot. Um, So individual retreats, team retreats are really helpful too to like get everybody to get out of the space that they're in the day to day and really focus on like visioning. Um, The other thing I do to stay on track like I try to take a vacation. Um, vacations help. I realize I'm taking a vacation in November, and I realize I hadn't taken a personal vacation in a long time. Where are you going? Actually, going to Bali. Yes, first time. First time. I do not have a plane ticket, but I have accommodations. <laughs> so one thing is covered. Hopefully, I'll get a plane ticket soon. Um, That's <laughs> awesome. So yeah, the vacations, the rest. But I think visioning is really important. Um, like. Oftentimes, we feel like we're not accomplishing things because we're just going through the day-to-day. So I think the best step to like getting your shit together is really just – it doesn't have to be the most complicated goal. But if you can create a regular system and mechanism for setting goals and like making sure that they're achievable by building out the infrastructure in your day and your week and your month and your year to achieve them, like you're going to feel like you're more accomplished and you're more purposeful because you're actually – doing stuff right. towards something that's your, your own. What has been your biggest challenge so far in your life and how did you overcome it? Ooh, that's like always the toughest interview question. <laughs> it's hard because I often see like negative points as opportunities for growth. So identifying what is the biggest challenge becomes difficult. I think one of my biggest challenges and I've gotten better at this is like not being defined by my resume or how many things I'm able to accomplish. So like I am slightly type A. Um, <laughs> and then also like getting to a place where I don't measure like my where my my source of motivation is internal, not external. So like being a type A person that accomplishes a lot that's like goes into law, you often can get caught in this trap and I think at, at times I did where you're measured by like your work persona or your resume persona. And so overcoming that to get to a place where it's really like an internal, intrinsic source of motivation and doing things more for um, not really myself, but doing things for like a core purpose and for impact on the world versus like visibility or check marks is a challenge. And I think it continues to be one and and designing 
a life where I have to keep that in check is is something I try to do. So you felt that pressure because of your resume that you had to like overdo it? It's just like I'm an overachiever. And like yeah, right. that is like I think one of my board members that says that perfection is the enemy of good. Like oftentimes you are like being a perfectionist and being an overachiever is great because you can accomplish a lot and like you always get a lot of stuff done and it's yeah. always really great. But like that can also be like a double-edged sword where you also are focused on getting a lot done and it always being great and then you forget about yourself and then you really don't focus on like what are my core motivators. Um, and that can be challenging because, you know, perfectionism leads to fears, inadequacies, all sorts of other things that are not very healthy or productive. And so overcoming like perfectionism, huge. Now, what has been your biggest triumph? Oof, biggest triumph. I know you have many. <laughs> it's hard to pick just one. I, I don't know. I think right now I'm really like Venture Cafe, I'm really proud of our growth in the work. But I think one of the things that I'm really proud of, and I can't wait to see where it goes and expands is like the work that we've done with the NIA project. Like I have seen some of our fellows just grow and blossom into amazing people and how I hear them talk about their lives and leading with intention and being purposeful and how like the experiences that we've had and designed have been life-changing. Like that is probably the most fulfilling thing <laughs> in the world to see that you can create something that has such a, like a instrumental change on somebody and for the better. So that, that I'm very proud of. That's amazing. Well, I think we can sit here and talk for hours. You are an incredible woman, and we thank you and are so grateful to you for taking the time to speak with us and the womanhood. Thank you, Leanne. Well, thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Thanks. <laughs> amazing. Oh, that was great. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you want to learn more about Leanne Buchanan, please visit VentureCafeMiami.org and NeoProject.org. Let's stay connected. Follow us at We Are Millennial Women on Instagram and Facebook to follow our journey as we hear the voices of the women of our generation and uncover the challenges we all face and how we choose to overcome them and lead our best lives. Want to be a part of the womanhood? Let's make it official. Sign up today to our email list on wearemillennialwomen.com and be the first to know about all things millennial women as well as special promo codes, free giveaways, and discounts to use in our MW Shop and Millennial Women Talk events. We hope you enjoyed this episode and encourage you to continue on with the conversation. Always remember to keep being the strong, amazing woman that you are and never forget to live inspired. Until next time, MW. Always love, Melissa and Stephanie Kirkache.